We've been talking in this series that uh, there's a, a me that I was meant to be. There's a, a person that I was, I was created to be, and I'm functioning at my best as a human being when I'm living out that, that me that I'm meant to be. And I was meant for relationship with God. That's what I was created for. That's what you were created for. And the way that God talks about that, mostly through, throughout Scripture, is in terms of a covenant uh, which just means a partnership that God invites us into this partnership. God has this dream of building his kingdom among human beings, that, that the realm of humans is where his rule and reign is what always happens and that we live in harmony with him and with each other. That's what God is doing. And he has invited us into this partnership to participate with him in building this kingdom. And I am at my best when I am functioning in a relationship with God. We call that Jesus-centered living, is what we call that here. But there are obstacles to me being the me that I'm meant to be. In the first week we talked about that I am, I am meant to be content, but I desire to control things that I wasn't meant to control. When I try to take God's place and control the circumstances of my life, or I try to control people around me, then I can't be the content me that I was meant to be. The next week we talked about that I'm meant to be patient, but my lack of patience can be an obstacle uh, to being the person that God made me to be. And last week we talked about um, pride and humility. I was meant to be humble. I'm, I'm functioning at my best when I have the right view of myself, but my pride gets in the way of that, my pride and my insecurity. We talked about the balance between those two. And so this week we're gonna talk about self-control, self-control. I am meant to be self-controlled. I am meant to be a person who doesn't let my desires dictate what I do, but I am actually in control of, of my desires. I had a lesson in self-control this week. Um, my wife and I are doing a very sort of a minor remodeling project in our kitchen. And if you've ever done remodeling uh, with a spouse, then maybe you've had an experience in self-control as well. Um, I don't like being bad at things. Um, and I'm bad at stuff like home maintenance repairs. Uh, I just, so we were putting up these shelves and it's, it's such a simple task. You put, you mount the brackets on the wall and you lay the shelf. We had this really nice piece of wood. You just lay it on top of the brackets, right? No, wrong. I, uh, I measured wrong where I put the brackets. So I installed six brackets on the wall in the wrong place. <laughs> so when I put them up, it just looked terrible. I mean, it looked like they were going to fall over. Um, so we had to take all six brackets out of the wall and do the, you know, the drywall mudding over them and repaint the whole wall so we could put new brackets up in the right place. And through all of that process, I did get frustrated and I did get angry, but I never like took it out on my wife, which is progress for me <laughs> like normally uh, when I get in a situation like that the first thing I do is is I look for somebody to, to be mad at um, and and sometimes I yell and, and do things like that but I, I feel like I'm growing because I, I screwed up a home repair project or a home improvement project and didn't yell at my wife so <laughs> um, so that's uh, my experience in self-control this week and what it, what it makes me realize is that this is something that I face on a regular basis. And, and I, I assume that you're like me and you, you do the same thing, that you have these desires. My desire with the Home Improvement Project is to get it done as quickly as possible and done right. And when, that doesn't, when it doesn't go my way, when I don't get what I want, 
um, then I just, I, it's hard for me to be in control of my temper in those moments. And so I think um, when we look at the opportunities that we have to kind of push through those moments when, when our desire wants to control us, um, those are those are great opportunities for us to partner with God, and we can we can really blow it a lot. Today we're going to take a look at um, David, the life of King David, and see how David wrestled with this as well, and he failed in a major way. Uh, and we're going to sort of dissect the progression that led to David's uh, fall, and then we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us uh, how to be self-controlled, and shows us that that not only is it possible, but He actually wants to walk with us through that process. That's what we've been doing through this whole series. We learn how human beings fail at this and then how Jesus shows us that, that this is possible and he wants to help us become the me that we are meant to be. So King David uh, was uh, the greatest king that Israel ever had. He's uh, the story where we pick up today in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is a time when David, every, everything was going great. I mean, he, he had conquered most of their enemies. Um, Israel was doing really well financially. Everybody loved their king. David was just, you know, beloved by all the people. It's all going super well uh, when we pick up with this story in Second um, Samuel chapter 11. So I'm just going to read through this, and then we're going to kind of go back and dissect the progression uh, that David goes through here. So Second uh, Samuel 11, 1. In the spring of the year, when uh, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. So the scene is, this is the time of year when, when kings lead their armies out into battle. David chooses to send his commander, Joab, to lead the army, and he doesn't go. He stays at home, okay? Uh, verse 2, it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh, uh oh, David has, uh, has messed up royally here. And what I want us to see, maybe you've heard this story before. You know that David committed adultery with a married woman. You've heard that story before. But what I want us to notice is the, the path that he took to get there. So what, what we're going to discover is that our desires are not necessarily good or bad in and of themselves. Our desires make pretty good servants. They just make terrible masters. When we let our desires have control, let our desires dictate what we do, uh, then they can lead to a lot of destruction. So I think the, the more we're aware of how our desires get us into trouble, then the better prepared we can be to keep that from happening. So let's, let's take a look at this progression for David. So the first thing that he does is he sort of opens the door for something bad to happen. Uh, David should have been leading his army in battle. That's where he was supposed to be. He was the king. He was a military king. David was a warrior in his own right, a very good soldier, a very good leader of people. 
he should have been leading his people instead of sending his army out to fight without him. And by staying home when he should have been out doing his job, he sort of opened the door. Now, he hasn't sinned yet. It wasn't sinful for him to stay at home. But he opened the door for something new to come in and to catch him off guard. So that's, that's sort of step one. He opened, opened the door for this desire. Then, then he, he sees the woman and uh, he sort of keeps seeing her. Like instead of, uh, you know, as guys were sort of taught to bound, you know, bounce your eyes and, and that kind of thing. He doesn't bounce his eyes. In fact, he just, he stares probably. He lingers for a long time on this beautiful woman that he's, he's watching. And so his desire has an opportunity to come in through this open door that he's left and begin to work on his heart. So then he begins to think about it. He's thinking about what, what his desire wants. He's thinking about um, this woman. And so he inquires about her. He says, hey, somebody go and find out, you know, tell me, tell me who this woman is. Um, maybe, maybe she's available, you know, just, you know, let me know. So He's, he's thinking about it. He inquires. They come back and, and his, his messengers tell him, uh, in fact, she's not available, David. She's married to one of your best soldiers. Uriah the Hittite was listed as one of David's mighty men. This, she's, she's untouchable, David. You got to stay away from her. She's married to Uriah. But David has already allowed this desire to kind of set in his heart for so long that now he's, he probably is starting to justify what he's about to do. And you and I are really familiar with this part of the process, aren't we? We're really good at justifying things that we know we shouldn't do, aren't you? Like, um, if I want to eat a cookie, we're gonna talk about cookies some today. These are my go-to cookies, mint Oreos. If, if I wanna eat a cookie, but I know that I don't need the calories, I, I can, I can do some mental gymnastics to talk myself into being okay with eating the cookie, and I, I won't even feel guilty about it. So probably um, I will have like this uh, conversation with myself that goes like this. So I, I had a very protein-heavy breakfast. I ate some eggs for breakfast, so I didn't eat cereal. Well, that's junk. And so, in, in, so since I ate a good breakfast, I can have a cookie. Or, you know what, I'm gonna have a cookie now and then later, I won't, I won't have sweet tea with my dinner. I'll just drink water instead, so that'll cancel out the cookie calories, right? And I go through this whole process, and I'm justifying in my head. And I am a pro at this justification thing, and so are you. We do this all the time. We learn to do it very early on in life. And this is exactly what I think David does. I think he's telling himself, hey, I'm, I'm the king. I, I can sort of do whatever I want. And as long as her husband doesn't find out what's the big deal. So he justifies it, he sends for her, commits adultery with a married woman, and she gets pregnant. That leads to a whole storm of problems. What happens after this is um, David tries to cover it up by bringing her husband home from war. It doesn't work out. David has to send her husband back to the battle, but he sends him with instructions to the commander to set the next battle up in such a way that Uriah sort of gets hung out to dry and he gets killed in battle David essentially murdered him to cover up his own sin. So now he's not only committed adultery, but he has committed murder. And when we look at this, 
we can track through this story and we can see several opportunities that David had to make a different choice. Several opportunities David had to exercise some self-control here and spare himself and the people around him from the destruction that was coming. But he didn't do it. Why? Well, here's what James uh, says about that. James uh, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own Desire. James says desire is at the heart of most of our sin. We want something that we shouldn't have. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. James says the destruction here doesn't stop just because you've committed a sin. There's something actually beyond that. Once we start letting desire take control of our lives, then not only do we sin once, but we, we begin to live a lifestyle that leads to death and destruction as a, as a pattern, as a, as a way of life. And James says, you, you back all the way up and you can trace this to your desire that you gave into, that you let this desire have control over you. So this is what happens uh, in my world um, with the cookies. I go to the grocery store, I know where the cookies are, and I have an option. I can either push my cart down the cookie aisle, or I can take a different route to the things that I actually need. Um, but I like cookies, uh, I want them. And so normally I justify by saying, they're not for me, they're for the boys, right? They're for the kids. The kids need cookies, right? So I drive by the cookie aisle, I, I put the cookies in the cart, and I take them home. And when I take them home, then I have another option. I can put them uh, in the cabinet where I can't see them, or I can set them on the microwave where I see them all the time. So what do I do? They go on the microwave every single time. I set them right there on the microwave. And so now I have opened the door to uh, this desire for the Oreos. I haven't eaten any yet, okay? But I've opened the door. Now, let me just make it clear. I'm not saying that eating Oreos is sinful, but there is a me that I want to be that includes me being healthy as long as I can possibly be healthy. I want to be healthy when I'm older. And eating Oreos on a daily basis is going to hinder me. It's going to be an obstacle to me being the me that I want to be, that the healthy me that I picture when I'm older. And so when I open the door like this by putting the Oreos, not only putting them in my cart and buying them and bringing them home, but then I set them out on the microwave where I can see them. Now, I have to walk by the Oreos multiple times a day. And so every time I walk by, I'm thinking, man, that looks really good. <laughs> I'd love to have an Oreo right now. Those are delicious cookies. What's the harm in having just one? And I can easily justify having one Oreo. If you look on the package, there's not that many calories. I mean, I can burn that many calories. I just say, well, maybe I'll run to the mailbox instead of walk, you know, and that'll burn off an Oreo right there, won't it? It actually won't, but I, I, I'm ignorant enough. I can trick myself into thinking that stuff. So I'll eat the one Oreo. Then I'll walk by the microwave later in the day and think, I've only had one Oreo today and um, I'm planning on working out tomorrow so I'll go ahead and eat a couple more Oreos and I'll just burn it off tomorrow. And what I'm doing in those moments is I am sacrificing the, the future me that I want to be for something that I want right now. Um, and this, when I do this with 
things that, that matter on a different level, things that affect my relationships with other people. This can lead to a lot of destruction. This is what David discovered. So what we have, we have this amazing, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So in this, we see that David actually wanted something different for himself. He wanted a clean heart, not a heart that was that was overwhelmed by, by the guilt of his sin. He wanted a clean heart. He wanted to live in the presence of God. He wanted the Holy Spirit of God to be on him. He wanted to live in the joy of his salvation in this partnership with God. That's what he really wanted. But when he, he let his desire dictate his actions in those moments with Bathsheba and Uriah, then David sacrificed what he wanted most for what he wanted now. And this is, this is the root of what we're going to talk about with self-control. Self-control is saying, I, I will sacrifice what I want now for what I want most. I will sacrifice what I want now for what I want most. If David had done that, if he'd been willing to sacrifice what he wanted in the moment with Bathsheba, then he could have preserved what he wanted most, a clean heart before God, the presence of God, the spirit of God upon him, the joy of his salvation and his partnership with God. He could have maintained all of that if he had sacrificed what he wanted now for what he wanted most. Jesus demonstrates this in a way that I think makes it really possible for us. First of all, we need to recognize Jesus had desires. It's not wrong to have desires. Jesus had desires. Um, when he cleanses the temple, he goes into the temple on a couple different occasions and he sort of drives out the money changers. When he did that, uh, in John chapter 2, the first time he did it, his disciples looked at, at that event and they thought, that reminds us of something from the Old Testament. They thought of a verse from the Old Testament about the Messiah that says, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal is like this passion, this, this great desire that leads to sort of bold action. Jesus had that kind of desire for preserving the holiness of, of the presence of God among the people. Jesus had a strong desire for that. Um, he he had a, a prayer for the city of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 13. He prays over Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I have longed, how I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers chicks under her wing. Jesus loved the city of Jerusalem. He loved the people of God. And he had this longing to be their shepherd. He had this longing to, to sort of mother them and, and to lead them. And then Jesus in Luke chapter 22, when he sits down, uh, with at the last supper with his disciples he looks at these guys his friends these guys he's been doing life with for a couple years now and he says i have eagerly desired to eat this passover with you i have i guys i can't wait i have been wanting this for a long time i can't wait to share this meal with you guys jesus had desires but he remained in control he never let his desire control him jesus was willing to sacrifice what he wanted in the moment for what he wanted most. And he demonstrated that in a couple ways. So here's just one example of how Jesus challenges us to do that in his teaching. He said in Matthew chapter six, in Matthew chapter six, he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, I know what you want right now. What you want right now is to, is to make as much money as you can and spend it on things that you want. He said, you, you could do that, but that's storing up treasure on earth where it's, it's temporary, it's not gonna last, it's just happiness for a moment. 
Jesus said, don't do that. Instead, why don't you store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal? Jesus is saying, I want you to sacrifice what you want right now for what you want most, for what you want long-term, for the thing that's, that's gonna last. Are you willing to sacrifice what you want now for what you want most? That's an example of that. Psalm 37, four uh, is a favorite verse for a lot of people because it's got a really cool promise in there. It says that God will give you the desires of your heart. That's the end of Psalm 37, four. We love that. That sounds awesome. God, will, God is promising to give me the desires of my heart. Well, great, because I have a list. God, I've got some things that I would like. First of all, I would like to be able to worship with my church family all in the same room. That's a strong desire in my heart. And God promised to give me the desire in my heart. So where is it at? You know, God, you promised to give me the desires of my heart. And, and I've got a lot of things that I want. And why aren't those things happening? Because that's not the whole line. The line from the Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What the psalmist wants us to know, and I think that what God is communicating to us here is that if we start by saying what I want most, what I want most is to honor God with my life. What I want most is for God to be in control of me. What I want most is to see the kingdom of God come to earth, and I want to participate with him in that. That's what I want most. When that's what we want most, then God will give us the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart are gonna work towards that end. They're gonna be God-honoring desires. They're gonna be kingdom-building desires. They're gonna be sacrificial, humble, patient, peaceful, joyful desires. We start with wanting God most. So how do we do that? I think we need to break it down to like we did with, with David and the process that he went through and with me and my Oreos. Like, I, I have got to change some things. If I really want to be healthy and I want to stop eating Oreos every day, I have to change some habits that I have. I have to break some bad habits and build some new ones. I have to break some bad ones and build some new ones. This is how we build self-control. Um, James Clear is an author. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits uh, where he talks about really practical ways to break bad habits and build new ones. I want to share just this one excerpt with you from James Clear's book. He says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your identity. He says, this doesn't happen overnight. I can't just walk past the Oreos without eating one one time, and now suddenly I have self-control when it comes to Oreos. But the votes build up, and so does the evidence of your identity. He says, this is why habits are crucial. They cast repeated votes for being a type of person. Now, this is not specifically about becoming spiritually mature. This is not specifically about saying no to sinful desires and saying yes to the things that honor God. But I think it applies. I think if we can build in habits and, and we can build some momentum, that it, it won't give us self-control overnight, but it will put us on a path to becoming the, the me that I'm meant to be the self-controlled human being that can partner with God in seeing his kingdom built on earth. So, first step for us is going to be to understand what our strong desires are that could lead us into destruction. So, I just want you to take a minute and think about that. What are the strong desires that can lead you 
uh, into trouble. What are the things that you have trouble being self-controlled about? For some of us, it is, uh, it is this thing. It is the old cell phone. Some of us, we say, I say, I want to be a Jesus-centered husband, a Jesus-centered father, and I want to have a Jesus-centered family. But if you watched my life, there are some times when you would look at my life and you would say, well, it sort of looks like he has a cell phone-centered family because that's sort of what's at the center all the time is the cell phone. This is, this is a struggle for me. It is really tempting to have this in front of me all the time. And so whenever I allow this thing to be at the center of my family life, my time with my wife, my time with my, my sons, then I am not being a G, I'm not taking steps in the direction of the person that I want to be. I want to be Jesus-centered. I want to lead my family well. And so I, I, I've got to learn to put that away. I've got to create some habits that help me put that away. Maybe that's something for you. Maybe something um, for you is you, you want to be a productive person and you want to give time to other people. You want to be a selfless serving person, but you find yourself spending a lot of time doing nothing, sitting in front of a television or logging on to social media, and, and you're not really out there serving, blessing other people like you really want to be because you have this obstacle and you don't have self-control in that area. You want to be a person who has good relationships, but you have trouble controlling your tongue, and you end up gossiping about people, and your gossip turns your thoughts and your hearts against people that you should be loving, and it turns other people's hearts and thoughts against you that they should be loving you. But you, you've got this, this area where you don't have self-control, but you're letting your desire to sort of be at the center of the information, you're letting that dictate. And so you're not, you're not on the path to becoming the person you're meant to be, maybe, this is a big one for, uh, for me and, and, and some other, I'm confessing way too much things today. Um, but being right, I, I have a strong desire to be right. I wanna be the one who's right. That's, that's what I want. And sometimes when I let that desire control me, I break relationships because I choose being right in the moment over having a healthy relationship down the road. That's a terrible choice. If you look at it that way, it's no choice at all. Would I rather have a healthy relationship or would I rather be right in the moment? Obviously, I'd rather have the healthy relationship, but sometimes I will push and I will force my way into being right in a way that breaks a relationship. That's a desire that gets in the way. What if I was willing to sacrifice what I wanted in that moment for what I wanted most? So step one is to know what is it uh, that trips me up? What are the desires that I have trouble controlling and I allow them to control me and they actually don't lead me in the direction uh, that I want to become? And then I need to remember what I want most. I have got to remember what is it that I want most. If I'm going to sacrifice what I want now for what I want most, what is it that I want most? So this is what I want you to do as a family. I want you to have this conversation. What, what are the things that trip us up? What are the areas where we struggle to be self-controlled as individuals and maybe even as a family? And then how can we remember what it is that we want most? If you're, if you're family, if you are a Christian, if you're a Jesus-following family, then you have already decided that what you want most is to live like Jesus to love like Jesus. You've already decided that. You, you've made that choice. 
Are you living it out? That's what you want most. And so how do we remember that? So here's what we need to do. We need to build reminders into our day about what we want the most. This is what reading scripture and praying is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to remind us, this is what I want most. What I want most is a relationship with God where I know that I'm loved and I love him and I am willing to trust and obey him in whatever he leads me into. That's what scripture is supposed to do is remind me what I want most. And so we need to build some reminders. We need to pre-decide how we're going to manage the strong desires that come our way. The best time to take control of a desire is before it strikes. Don't wait till you're in the moment. One of the most incredible scenes in all of scripture is, is Jesus. On the, on the night that he was betrayed, that Thursday night after the Last Supper, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. He knows what's coming the next day, his crucifixion. And here's how his prayer goes. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. God, if there's any other way. God, what I want right now is another way. What I want right now is a less painful way. Maybe a way where you don't turn your back on me. Maybe a way where I, I'm not forsaken by you. That's what I want right now. And then his prayer ends with this, but not my will, but yours be done. How did Jesus have the strength in that moment to sacrifice what he wanted in the moment for what he wanted most, which was to be obedient and faithful and give glory to God? How did he have that strength? I think he built that strength by building a daily reminder into his life. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he tell them to do? He said, here's how I want you to pray. Say, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus prayed that prayer. He taught other people to pray that prayer. He said that phrase over and over just between him and God. He said it in front of other people. And when he was doing that, he was building into his life this daily reminder. What I want most is for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. Man, how much would that change your life if you just prayed that one prayer every day? Maybe it wouldn't change overnight, but, but imagine if you could look back five years from now and go, I've been praying this prayer for five years God, your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine, for five years. And now look where I am. Can you imagine what five years of doing that, what two years, what one year of doing that would do in your life? It put Jesus in a place where he was able to face the crucifixion, rejection by God, bearing the sins of the world and say, not my will, but yours be done. He pre-decided the kind of person he wanted to be. He predecided what was most important to him. And that's what we need to do. So I want you as a family to build in some reminders. Get, just sit down and talk about this. How can we remind ourselves on a daily basis what we really want most as a family? Make a list. What do we want most? And how can we build some reminders in? And then I, I want you to make a plan. I want you to make a plan. Make a plan. So we're going to build these reminders in and then... How are we going to respond? We have to think about it ahead of time. If I say that I want good relationships, but I really struggle with gossip, how am I going to respond when I get a juicy bit of information about somebody? What am I going to do? Am I going to repeat that? Am I going to look for a way to share that subtly as a prayer request? What am I going to do with that information? If, if I really struggle with being distracted by my phone, what am I going to do when I get an hour with my kids? How am I going to make sure that my phone is not a distraction in my relationship with my kids? 
Maybe I need to put it in a different room. Maybe I need to leave it in the car. Maybe I need to turn it off. We, we need to make a plan. And then we need to encourage and, and help each other live out that plan. So here's what I want for you as we close this morning. The, you are meant to be self-controlled because when you're self-controlled, you can partner with God in building his kingdom here on earth. You get to participate with him in that through your family, through your, your job, through your neighbors, your coworkers, uh, through the way that you live your life, you can participate with God in that when you are living a self-controlled life. But we have these desires that trip us up and keep us from being self-controlled. So pre-decide what matters most to you. Make sure that you've, you've taken inventory of the desires that trip you up and build reminders into your daily life that, that you've decided what matters most. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to, to ask that question. What matters most to me? What matters most to me? I hope that your thoughts will turn to something like, I want my life to mean something. I, I want my life to have some kind of significance. I, I want to leave a legacy behind that people can look at and, and know that I made an impact on the people around me for good. I can tell you. You are meant to do that. You are meant to leave a legacy. You are meant um, to live in a way that makes an impact on the people around you. And the best way for you to do that is in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you're asking that question today. What do I want most? And is it possible that the pathway to what I want most goes right through Jesus Christ? I believe that it does. And I want to encourage you, if that's something that's on your heart, uh, send us a message, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about how to put Jesus at the center of your life today. For those of you that are already Christians, you already know, following Jesus is what matters most. How can I build my life around that? So uh, as a family, sit down and have that conversation today. Begin to practice self-control. And I cannot wait to see you next week for Easter. We're going to celebrate like none other. Pick up your Holy Week boxes and we'll see you.